Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. Eric, man, look, I don't know about you, but I've had a crazy week. Hmm. Um, the feds were here the other day insisting that I had secret documents stashed away. I mean, I told them I didn't, uh, but they searched the place anyway. They looked in all my rooms all my cupboards and closets uh, even the special room that has don't enter this is the room where i store my stolen secret documents go away <laughs> expressly written on a sign on the door i mean the nerve can you believe it i mean look they claimed they found some things of interest that i shouldn't have had but they obviously planted everything and anyway there weren't really important papers because i had previously decided that they weren't previously important papers and i had officially designated them as such by informing my cat alfie and i can't think of a more legally watertight defense than that but also they planted them <laughs> all right wait wait so so kieran if i'm yes. hearing you correctly yes. are you saying that you kieran mulvaney yes have negative feelings toward the feds you famously staunch backer of the blue guy who got really bent out of shape about football players kneeling to protest police violence if i'm remembering correctly are now anti-law enforcement and fbi presumably cool with violence by armed terrorists against the capitol police and if i have that all correct i mean aren't you being a bit of a hypocrite well no see here's you don't understand eric when they use their forces for good, I support them. If they choose to zero in on me, it is obviously a violation of everything that we expect from them. It is a witch hunt. It is not fair. And uh, it, it's it's just clearly persecution um, by my enemies. Hmm. Okay. that uh, You mentioned uh, a legally watertight uh, defense earlier. Mm -hmm. That is watertight logic that you just hit me with there. I can't poke any holes in it. So, But I am curious, um, is Alfie the cat currently organizing a press conference in front of Four Seasons Total Landscaping by chance? <laughs> Oh, oh, he's much, much, much higher grade than that. It's uh, it's uh, in front of the um, uh, Rose Room uh, gardening supplies, actually, on Munsell Street. It's a much, much higher quality uh, establishment. That was delivered with an appropriate amount of lack of confidence as you tried to come up with words to say. <laughs> you're, you're fitting right in, Kieran. Uh, um, under the advice of my legal counsel, Alfred T. Cat, I hereby assert my Fifth Amendment uh, privilege and choose not to answer any further questions. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't didn't you once say that a person who pleads the Fifth only does so if that person is guilty, and and that such a person should be locked up? And now you're pleading the Fifth. Under the advice of my legal counsel, Alfred T. Cat, <laughs> I am asserting my Fifth Amendment privilege right. and choose not to answer All that right. question. Fine, I won't ask any more questions. This uh, is good though. I'm, I'm sure we've. Uh, pissed off a handful of our listeners who exactly. think up is down and down is up and don't like being informed that up is actually up and down is actually down but exactly. it's fine we're weeding them out we have steven espinoza and al bernstein on our side exactly. so we'll, we'll be okay exactly we're we're, we're all good it's, it's fine and who needs listeners anyway it just makes the podcast <laughs> more fun if you don't have to worry about them <laughs> right as far as i'm concerned i'm just talking to you karen you're, you're my only <laughs> listener exactly 
Coming up on the podcast, we will be talking heavyweights as we look ahead to next week's rematch between Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk, and we'll discuss Tyson Fury's week of unretiring and re-retiring. Eric will set me a new top five challenge. We will chat about Teofimo Lopez's successful return to action. But first, let's preview next Saturday's Showtime Championship boxing card at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood. Florida. Uh, the card was scheduled to be headlined by Adrian Bronner taking on Omar Figueroa in a fight that was probably going to be at 140 pounds, although that had yet to be confirmed. Uh, however, we initially recorded the podcast on Sunday, but on Monday morning, Bronner posted on Instagram that he was withdrawing from the fight, citing mental health concerns. Uh, sorry to all my fans, but hashtag mental health is real. I'm not about to play inside the ring. I've watched a lot of people die playing with a boxing career. That's something I won't do. Just pray for me. I love the sport of boxing too much to not give my all and feel like I came up short before because my mind wasn't 100% there and I'd be damned if I make that mistake again. So I have to step back and overcome this obstacle before I go put my life on the line inside the square circle again. I know I'm far from being finished with the sport. See you all soon. And honestly, if his head is not there, if he is grappling with demons, then he has done absolutely the right thing by stepping away. Boxing is, as he notes, Dangerous enough without making it any more so. Uh, he will be replaced by Sergei Lipinets, uh, but the change came too late for us to do a full rundown of the new main event, especially as Eric is traveling most of the week. So what we will do instead is record a money punch pod on Friday in which we will break down the new main event of Lipinets Figueroa. But there are three fights on the undercard and we'll touch the, on all of them now and make our predictions. There are now three fights on the undercard, and we'll touch on them briefly one at a time. In 130-pound action, Roger Gutierrez of Venezuela defends an alphabet belt against Hector Garcia of the Dominican Republic. Gutierrez is 26-3-1 with 20 knockouts. He won the title by a slim decision over René Alvarado, uh, courtesy of a 12th-round knockdown in a fight that he was losing on the scorecards. And then he beat Alvarado again over the distance in his only title defense uh, thus far. We last saw Garcia in action, if you remember, when he stepped in as a late replacement for Gutierrez, who was supposed to defend his belt against Chris Colbert in February, only for he and his team to contract COVID. Uh, Garcia faced Colbert instead and promptly out-hustled, out-worked, and out-pointed him uh, by a wide margin to hand Colbert his first loss. So now it's the undefeated Dominican, who brings a record of 15-0 with 10 stoppages to the ring, who gets the title shot instead. Eric, can Gutierrez succeed where Colbert failed, or is Garcia primed to take another scalp? Yeah, I would say, at least on paper, Garcia looks like the favorite to me. I mean, nothing on Gutierrez's resume compares with what Garcia did against Colbert and how he looked doing it. You could tell immediately in that fight, Garcia is a well-schooled fighter. He's not going to go in there and make big mistakes. He's a southpaw, and he's tough to fight, and he really knows what he's doing in there. Colbert's speed never bothered him for a second. He was comfortable from the start. Garcia has good power. He's especially dangerous with the long left hand. He's 30 years old. He's faced nobody of note before Colbert. So th there was no reason to assume that this guy could be elite. But now that we've seen him, he could be elite. Um, yeah. Gutierrez has more experience against good fighters, but still he doesn't have any experience against great fighters. And he has spottier results to this point, though he is on a three and a half year, seven fight winning streak. So with him, maybe there's some degree of like, let's not dwell on some losses he suffered back in his early 20s. Let's assume we're getting the guy from the two Alvarado fights, maybe the guy who shockingly knocked out Eduardo Hernandez in one round. Um, now, here's a key factor to take into consideration here. Lefty versus righty. 
lots of head clash potential. And mm-hmm. Garcia has a serious head clash history. He has three no contests due to banging heads. And Gutierrez, meanwhile, has a history of cutting. So, unfortunately, I'm on high alert here for a head clash, maybe a cut, maybe a technical decision, etc. And I guess I should bake that into my prediction because a technical decision does count as a decision. Maybe I'm risking being overly influenced by a single fight, but Garcia simply looked like the real deal in upsetting Colbert, and I just don't believe Gutierrez can box quite at that level. So I'm going to say Garcia by unanimous decision, and I'm covered if the result happens to be Garcia by unanimous technical decision. Yeah, I'd also made a note, obviously, about uh, that head clash potential. When you have three no contests in 18 starts as a result of, of early that's the other thing as well. The head clashes all came earlier, so he also uh, Garcia says. Then you have to assume that's a real possibility. It's just quite an intriguing contest to me because, as you said, look, Gutierrez is the man with the experience. Um, you know, whereas Garcia, we've we've seen just what an absolute nightmare he is. It's to fight and and how good he can be and how aggressive and and how consistently aggressive through the course of the fight. And he just looked absolutely tremendous in ripping away Colbert's undefeated record. Um, but it was a fight and a result that seemed to come as a shock even to his own team. Um, beforehand, they were very much sort of playing down his chances, saying Colbert yeah. was a nightmare to face if he'd had two months of, of, of uh, preparation, let alone two weeks. So, you know, it's interesting. Is what we saw with Garcia against Colbert a sign of who he is, or did he just catch lightning in a bottle on that on that one night? Right. It's difficult to say. He can be hit when he overcommits Garcia. He did get knocked down in the first round of his win over Isaac Avalar, but then he, you know, swept the rest of the fight. And then Gutierrez, you know, if you go two and one against Rene Alvarado, you're probably good but not great. Yeah. And I think he does most things competently without excelling. And one thing that does bother me about Gutierrez, look, he's got a solid jab. Uh, he's got a very nice straight right hand behind it, but he keeps that left hand awfully low. And I, I wonder how that's going to work against the Southpaw like like uh, Garcia, whether that's just going to him, leave him open to any kind of uh, uh, lead right hooks there. And I think that's a real issue. That said, he can crack himself with the right hand. Um, as we saw when he just flattened Eduardo Hernandez, turned him into... Zab Judah against Costa Zoo uh, in the first round of that fight. I actually have quite a hard time picking this, but like you, I'm having a hard time getting past the recency bias of seeing what Garcia did to Colbert. Granted, he had done nothing in his career, as you said, beforehand to suggest that that might be a possibility, but it happened. Yep. It happened, to quote an old <laughs> colleague of ours. Right. Um, and if I, th- if I felt higher about Gutierrez and about what he brings to the table. Yes, he's got the experience. He's got some wins. A lot of it comes down to the eye test here. And Gutierrez just looks okay to me. And maybe Garcia did just have one exceptional night. But like you said, he looks like he could be more than okay. I think I'm... I was actually tempted to go with what might have been the slight upset and say that Gutierrez's style and his experience would prove to be too much. But I, I actually kind of just think, I just think Garcia is just going to outwork him, to mm. be honest. It's just going to be as simple as that. And I don't think Gutierrez quite has the the skills to keep him off. And I don't think this will be split. 
I think this will be a Garcia unanimous decision here. Okay, so we're aligned on that one. Um, also on the undercard, we have more junior welterweight action, uh, like an actual 140-pound fight, <laughs> not a fight with a mysterious 140-ish weight limit. Anyway, this fight pits Batir Akhmedov, 9-1, 8 KOs, who you may recall suffered a controversial decision loss to Mario Barrios in 2019, against undefeated Dominican Alberto Pueo, who is 20-0 with 10 KOs. Kieran... Both men are southpaws, but Akhmedov has only faced one fellow southpaw in his pro career, while Pueo hasn't faced any since 2017. Akhmedov, of course, has a limited professional resume, but extensive amateur experience. Meanwhile, Pueo has had just one previous fight outside of the Dominican Republic, his most recent one, and despite having twice as many pro outings, hasn't really faced the same caliber of opposition as Akhmedov. So, how do you handicap this one, and what's your pick? First of all, I got to say, I like this fight. I like this card. Yep. Actually, yep. it's <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a good card, and and there's not an easy pick. I think, um, perhaps in in terms of winners, perhaps with the exception of the one we've still got to come. Yep. Um, I, I didn't know anything about Pueo beforehand, but from watching video of him, he's good. Mm-hmm. He's a very solid boxer. Good southpaw jab. Nice straight left hand. Moves well. Keeps his guard tight. He stands up a little too straight for me. Uh, as he's doing that, I, I'd, I'd like to see him make himself a bit more compact. I wonder if that might be a factor. Um, he looked solid in that one U.S. outing today. He looked quite impressive, in fact. Um, but Akhmedov, though, boy, there's just a fluidity about him. He bobs and he weaves. He's hard to time. Uh, he hits well to the body. He pivots absolutely beautifully. Um, he's got a tremendous motor. He can take a round or two to get going. He Once he does, he just kind of keeps gathering speed and power. And I kind of feel like he, he's probably got a bit too much for Pueo. Pueo's got the kind of well-drilled style, it looks to me, that could cause Akhmedov headaches early on. Um, but the difference is that Pueo looks to me like someone who has been well-schooled in boxing, whereas Akhmedov looks to me as if he could box right out of the womb. He, he just seems to be the smoother, more natural talent to me. I, I see a decent start for Pueo. I see Akhmedov working his way into it, though. Might be close through six because maybe Pueyo's won those first couple of rounds and Akhmedov's then took a you know a few rounds to catch up and take the lead. But he'll be very much in the ascendancy by then. So by around round seven, I think Akhmedov might be dominant. The body punches, I think, are going to be a factor here. I'm going to make it more difficult for Pueyo to, to move and box. In round eight, the body work will take his toll. Pueyo's hands will drop and Akhmedov will force a perhaps slightly controversially early stoppage in round eight. Akhmedov, TKO eight. Okay. Uh, on some regards here... You are not stealing my notes at all, but in some ways, you've definitely stolen my notes, uh, taking a peek over my shoulder, because this is the point at which I had jotted down in my notes to talk about how surprisingly good this card is from top to bottom, (laughs) and how hard it is to pick all these fights, and how, you know, we can rag on Broner Figueroa in certain ways, but it's a pretty even matchup on paper. Garcia Gutierrez is competitive on paper, and this, for me, is the toughest pick of them all. And it's an interesting style clash. Um... Yes, both southpaws, but very different kinds of southpaws. Akhmedov is a pretty straightforward pressure fighter. You mentioned the bobbing and weaving. He's like a bobbing and weaving tank, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Um, Pueyo is much longer and leaner. He's slick. He's versatile. He can fight inside very well and is a good body puncher also. It's a little tricky to judge his quality because the opposition hasn't been world class. Mm -hmm. But as best I can tell, he is a good fighter. And I could see his style causing problems for Akhmedov. 
the real deciding factor here might be Akhmedov's 14-month layoff. If, if he's rusty, if he's starting slow, it could be a problem. And I give him enormous credit for the way he came back against Barrios. Like, in that fight, he might have lost all of the first four rounds, including a knockdown. And then he totally took over the fight after that, which yeah. you don't see often. Um, but you do also have to be concerned about the slow start there. Boy, this is a really tough pick for me. If it was a 10-rounder, I'd be a little more confident going out on a limb on Pueo that, that he could build a lead and withstand a surge. 12 rounds makes it tougher to take the guy with no experience at this level. Eh, but what the hell? Uh, he only <laughs> live once. I think his skill set can produce enough headaches that I'm going to take him anyway. I'll say Alberto Pueo by close unanimous decision. Right. And the quadruple header is completed by a contest that was recently added to the card. Uh, it had been slated for the Jake Paul Hasim Rockman Jr. pay-per-view card last week, but happily Showtime was able to reschedule it rapidly. It features one of our favorites, Brandon Lee, 25-0 with 22 KOs, facing off against Will Madera, 17-1-3 with 10 KOs. Uh, we saw Lee a few months ago go in 10 rounds for the first time in a win over Zachary Ochoa that was both dominant and a little frustrating. Um, Madeira's one defeat came in a first-round blowout against Felix Fidejo in 2020, but he's put together two pretty solid wins since then. Eric, Madeira's been down only twice in his career, once against Fidejo and once in the first round of the first fight of his pro career, which he then turned around and won. Does this mean we're likely to see Brandon Lee extended again? And is there any real danger that Madeira can spring what would have to be considered an upset here? Um... Brandon Lee extended some rounds, quite possibly. Extended the full distance again. Possible, but I think unlikely. And to answer the last question, no, I don't see any real danger of an actual upset. You hinted at it. This is the one fight of the four on the card where the winner is all but certain going in. It's a reasonable lateral step in opposition for Brandon Lee. You know, Madeira is right around the same level as Ochoa and Juan Araldez, and he's a skilled counterpuncher. That's his bread and butter, is countering offensive-minded fighters and making them pay if they give him an opening. So, all in all, I think this is a worthwhile test for Lee at this stage of his career. He still needs rounds, experience, he needs practice cutting off the ring against a mover, mm -hmm. which... It's not quite how I'd describe Madeira. He's not so much a mover, but he can box and counter. He could make Lee work in that regard. Um, here's your Will Madeira fun fact, courtesy of our friend Steve Farhood. Madeira grew up with nine siblings, and now, at age 31, he has six kids of his own. I wish him luck with that. Uh, I, I guess whatever Brandon Lee does to him won't be any more grueling than wrangling six kids. Um, but that said, I do expect Brandon to do bad things to him. Uh, Lee is a big 140-pounder, whereas Madeira could probably still make lightweight. I think Lee's power will get to him. Maybe not in the first round or two, but eventually we get another Brandon Lee stoppage win. I'll say KO6. Okay. Um, I'll tweak my result just to be different then. Um, because, <laughs> um, yeah, I think the biggest difference between this and Lee's last fight is the whereas Ochoa just came to survive. I think Madeira will at least try to win. Um, mm -hmm. and, and while he knows full well how difficult that's going to be and that will require him to, to box and, and perhaps move more than he's used to, look at some point, partly because it's his nature, he's... And, just partly because that's what you're going to have to do if you have any hope of winning this. He's at some point going to need to stand and throw some punches. Um, and that's when Lee's going to have his moments. Uh, I do see Madeira trying to box a move early. I think Lee's going to stalk. He's going to take his time, looking relaxed as he does, doing what we know he can do. 
It'll be frustrating at times for him, but I think he'll keep focused. He'll start stepping up his output, um, and he will start breaking through. So I was going to pick KO6, but I'm going to pick something different. Um, The question is, do I pick it earlier or do I pick it later? Um, You know what? I'll give Will Madera some credit. I think he'll extend. Let's go ahead and extend him. I pick KO8 for my last fight. I'll do it again. Lee KO6. KO8. (laughs) You still can't make up your mind. KO8 officially. Yes, yeah, KO8 is my official pick. All right. Um, So there are a couple of other fights of note in the week ahead. Uh, In San Diego, Emmanuel Navarrete defends his featherweight belt against Eduardo Baez. That'll air on ESPN and ESPN+. But there's no question what the biggest event of the weekend is. That will be in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, Sai, where Oleksandr Usyk and Anthony Joshua meet again for the heavyweight belts that Usyk took from Joshua via unanimous decision when they first met last September. Usyk, the former undisputed cruiserweight champion, is 19-0 with 13 KOs, while Joshua is 24-2 with 22 KOs. Kieran, this could be the fight that defines Joshua's career. Lose, and his time at the top is effectively over. But if he wins, he'll be repeating countryman Lennox Lewis's achievement of avenging both his professional defeats, and there are still potentially lots of major fights ahead for him. For Usyk, there is in a sense, so much more at stake than there was a year ago. Had he lost then, it would have been no big deal. He he would have simply come up short against a bigger, stronger, more natural heavyweight. Now he not only has a heavyweight title to defend, he has the weight of a war-torn country on his shoulders as well. Now this won't count for our official picks competition, of course, but uh, how do you see this rematch unfolding? Man, it's tough to say, isn't it? I mean, it's there are question marks in a sense, about both guys. You know, once Joshua's confidence level here, he, he went through that whole period of, of trying to pick a trainer before settling on Robert Garcia. Is he going to go in thinking too much, getting caught between two styles? Is he going to commit to being a puncher rather than a boxer? Or is he going to be able to strike a balance between the two? And if he does decide to go all in as a puncher, will that work to his advantage or not? Um, Usyk appears to have bulked up considerably. And... So does that mean that Joshua won't be able to push him around or knock him down? And if he can, does he start to tense up a little bit, Joshua, and, and run out of gas? And what about Usyk? Is that physical transformation a good thing? Uh, it may give him the ability to absorb more of Joshua's punches and perhaps oppose himself some more. But will it affect his mobility and his speed, which are the huge advantages that he's brought into his heavyweight career so far? Will it force him, or as he decided, to stand more in the pocket in exchange with Joshua? And how will that go for him if it does? And then, of course, there's that wild card of the situation back home. Does, is, mm. does that inspire him, or is will the burden of expectation prove overwhelming? I, if I had to pick, uh, and he did ask me to, I kind of think that Joshua may very well be more aggressive this time. Well, it'd be a controlled aggression, but I think he will be more aggressive this time. It may be a bit more of an in-the-pocket battle than before, but he's still the guy with the superior boxing skills. And I suspect the better stamina. I th- I kind of picture Joshua maybe starting quite a bit better, but Usyk's reeling him in. And this time I think he might stop him. Maybe around like yeah. the ninth or 10th round, something like that. But I also have zero confidence in that assessment. <laughs> I can see this going multiple ways. I mean, what about you? Um, I feel a little more dug in on, on how I feel about uh, the likely outcome here. The, the closer okay. it gets, the harder and harder a time I have seeing Joshua reverse the defeat. Gotcha. And last time he dug into it 
deep reservoir of pride to make it to the final bell as he was tiring and taking a lot of shots. And I wonder if that same resolve can be conjured up if it's going that mm-hmm. badly again. Um, I think without a doubt, AJ needs to fight on Saturday. If he mm-hmm. comes out boxing tentatively, he's beaten. Um, not saying he needs to be reckless, but he does need to be aggressive. He needs to throw a power jab and step in behind it with right hands. I think Robert Garcia is an excellent choice of trainer for him. But as we've said previously, you know, no tune-up fights together, no time to work out the kinks. I worry that we'll see AJ very much caught between styles and, as is often the case with him, thinking too much in the ring. And whenever he stops to think, Usyk, who's been boxing all his life, will be scoring points. Now, we noted that there's more pressure on Usyk now than in the first fight. You know, never mind the Ukraine stuff. I just mean in terms of expectations. But I still would say that if he loses, people will still point to the size discrepancy and excuse Mm -hmm. it. And... His Hall of Fame ticket is already punched. So I would undoubtedly say that Joshua of the two is the one facing more pressure here. His career as an elite heavyweight is on the line. I can't imagine him getting serious Hall of Fame consideration if he loses this rematch. And unfortunately for him, I I, I do see him most likely losing this rematch. I'm 50-50 on whether it's over the distance or, or Usyk stops him. I guess I lean toward... If Usyk seems to have a decent lead built up, and I expect he will, that he won't take any crazy risks trying to finish it at the end. So I'm thinking a repeat of the first result. Usyk, by unanimous decision, maybe a tad wider than the first time. Mm. Okay, time for the news segment. And our main event pivots directly off of what we were just discussing as it concerns the very top of the heavyweight division. A bizarre week in the life of lineal heavyweight (laughs) champ Tyson Fury. At the beginning of the week, he announced that he was going back on his decision to retire, that his new trainer would be close friend Isaac Lowe, and that his return would be a third contest against Derek Chisora because Fury wanted to be part of the first heavyweight trilogy ever, which, you know, there are some factual deficiencies there, but okay. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, a couple of days later... Fury and his father were in Iceland, supposedly hunting down former World's Strongest Man Halthor Bjornsson, a.k.a. The Mountain on Game of Thrones, whom you may recall he was reportedly in line to face in an exhibition bout as of just a couple of weeks ago. But then on Friday, on his birthday, Fury took to social media to declare, Massive thanks to everyone who had an input in my career over the years, and after long, hard conversations, I finally decided to walk away on my 34th birthday. I say bon voyage. And then on Saturday, he vacated his Ring Magazine heavyweight belt, which ties in directly with the fight we were just discussing in that the Mm. Ring went ahead and accepted that. And so now Usyk Joshua, too, will be for the vacant Ring title. So, Kieran, give me your take. What's going on with Tyson Fury? And is he now really retired? So before Fury went chasing off to Reykjavik... Dan Raphael talked to Bob Arum about what Fury had said about going after Chisora next. And Arum, who was, of course, you know, Fury's U.S. promoter, said, he's having fun. He gets up in the morning, he figures what kind of shit to stir up, and he says whatever he thinks. (laughs) And because he gets so many hits on all these platforms, he has a built-in audience. If he got up tomorrow and said he's coming back to fight X and that the only person he'll trust to train him is Bob Arum, he's capable of saying that. He's having fun, for Christ's sake. Don't take it seriously. 
The truth is that he gets up in the morning and he figures how he can pester up shit, and that's what he does. Hmm. You think Isaac takes it seriously? Of course not, for Christ's sake. Here he is just having fun. It's his idea of fun. And by the way, that's the most Bob Arum quote ever. I can completely <laughs> hear him saying all of these things. You just need to go a little gravelier on the yeah. for, for Christ's sake, just for Christ's sake, you know, really <laughs> yeah, get down exactly. there. Yeah. Um, and I thought at the time that was the best assessment of what Fury was, was saying and doing. Rings even more true after the various other twists and turns. Look, I don't know Tyson Fury. I've never even met him, but I suspect there's an extra element there too, which is, and there's something that we touched on a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the Bjornsson exhibition. Um, he's probably still struggling to adapt to the idea of a life outside the ring. He's a bit bored, probably. He's maybe a bit afraid of the boxing world moving on without him. Needs that adrenaline rush of training and fighting to keep him on the straight and, and narrow. And, mm -hmm. You know, as Aaron went on to say, he's antsy because he knows his one big potential remaining mega fight is the winner of Usyk Joshua. And that's yep. just around the corner. And he wants to know how that turns out. Plus, that fight is coming up. So he's acting out a little. He wants the attention his way and not Usyk's and AJ's. Floyd Mayweather used to do the same whenever yes, a Canelo or Pacquiao fight was coming up. <laughs> yep. um, it's a behavior that you as a parent would probably recognize more easily than me. It feels <laughs> like, you know, one sibling being a little jealous of the attention another's getting. Um so that's in addition to all the other factors we mentioned. And people bite. So he keeps doing it, just as Freud kept doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I certainly don't believe Fury is retired, especially if Joshua beats Usyk on Saturday. I'd say I'm 95% certain he isn't walking away from a fight with AJ if it's offered for all the belts. Yeah. Um, and while I totally get why the ring is making Usyk-AJ a title fight, given that Fury explicitly told them he's vacating the title... I also have to say, it gets pretty silly if the Usyk-AJ winner fights Fury, and Fury, still the lineal champ, if active, right. is the challenger for the ring title. Uh, look, I hate interim titles, but there are rare occasions when they make logical sense, and this would mm -hmm. actually be one, to make Usyk-Joshua 2 for the interim title, and if Fury is still retired when, say, the winner is ready to make his first defense, then maybe it becomes the full title. I don't know. It's kind of a, a side topic that isn't of utmost importance. But, yeah, Fury doesn't know what he wants except attention. He wants yep. that. He's a big, goofy attention whore. And <laughs> it can be entertaining, but it's yeah. also the boy who cried wolf. Nothing he says really means anything anymore. I mean, when he announced he was going to fight Chisora a third time, a meaningless fight that nobody was asking for. Nobody with half a brain actually took him seriously when he said it. I guess, you know, Fury gets bored easily. He's not ready to live the quiet life, clearly, mm -hmm. which I would think translates to him not being ready to stop boxing. Maybe if AJ loses and that mega fight isn't out there, he'll satisfy himself with the exhibition tour for a bit. Um, but I would be shocked if after some more time passes, if, if he never has another sanctioned boxing match. That that would really surprise me. So, oh, oh wait, uh, this just in. Fury has unretired. He's taking <laughs> on Hasim Rahman Jr. and Jake Paul at the same time at uh, high noon tomorrow. So, oh, uh, sorry, you've got outdated information. Oh, I'm yeah? just getting alert that he's re-retired. Oh, okay. Uh, wow, that had th things happen quickly busy these Sundays. days. Yes. All right, hold um, on. I'm just staring at my phone to see if there's any... Okay, nothing no, nothing happening yet. yet. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Stay tuned till the end of the podcast. <laughs> um, our co-main news event is an update on negotiations for the fight we all want to see. Uh, Dan Rayfield reporting that Terence Crawford Errol Spence is set tentatively set for either November 12th or 19th in Las Vegas, although other sites remain under consideration. The fight would be 
Showtime pay-per-view. And one of the undercard fights seems likely to be welterweight Imantis Danionis, probably against Cody Crowley. Eric, the drumbeats are getting louder. And when there's talk of what the undercard is going to be, that's generally pretty promising indeed. So what's your level of confidence? We're actually going to get to see this fight this year now. My confidence has been high and remains high. Nothing is done until it's done, but I keep coming back to A, there are no longer boxing politics preventing it, and B, neither man has a reasonable alternative. They've cleaned out the division other than each other and other than the next generation, which they don't really have any obligation to deal with yet. In a vacuum, Errol Spence versus Keith Thurman is a fine fight, right? Right, Um, right. But in a world in which Spence versus Crawford is possible, and is not just possible, but is being dangled in front of boxing fans, Spence Thurman is trash. Uh, it's a massive disappointment if that's what we get. That's where we are now. Um, you know, after two or three months of steadily increasing drumbeat for this fight, it has to happen or fans revolt and they, they boycott whatever these guys do next instead. But look, clearly it's close to done. I trust Dan's sources. I imagine there are a few deal points left to iron out and they do need to isolate which of those two November Saturdays is better. But bottom line, both fighters do want it. There's no massive obstacle standing in the way. I'd say when we talked to Bud in Canastota, I was about 85% sure we were going to get it this year. Now I'm around 95%. And judging from the comments on the YouTube video of us talking to Terrence, the fact that Showtime posted that interview (laughs) with us and Terrence Crawford means that the whole thing is basically sorted underneath and we're part (laughs) of the whole rollout that's going to, you know, set everything up. It's all done and dusted, apparently. Right. Which, honestly, that's a reasonable conclusion for an average person to reach. Um, (laughs) But it also might just be, well, we had this interview sitting in the can for a few weeks and they decided they didn't want to sit on it any longer. So, all right. For our news undercard, we have some other fights that have been made or seem on the verge of being made. Connor Ben, Chris Eubank Jr. has been confirmed for the O2 Arena in London for October 8th at a catch weight of 156 pounds, just about the exact midpoint between the welterweight limit and the super middleweight limit. Uh, next one, we touched on this a few weeks back, but rumors are growing louder that Deontay Wilder will return to the ring against Robert Hellenius the week after Ben Eubank, October 15th on Fox Pay-Per-View. I imagine people will have opinions about that fight being on pay-per-view. Uh, good fight signed for November 5th on zone. Jojo Diaz will face undefeated William Zapata. And a change atop the September 9th showbox card we just mentioned last week. Shenard Bunch was forced to withdraw from his fight against Hugo Roldan. His place will be taken by Joseph Adorno. We also have one news item not connected to a fight on the upcoming schedule. David Lemieux has announced his retirement, and there's some real sadness associated with this. His father was killed in a shooting spree while waiting for a bus in Montreal just a few days ago. So it's very possible this is an emotional decision by Lemieux. Certainly, we send our condolences to him and his family. That is positively awful. He was also last seen in the ring getting beaten badly by David Benavidez. Perhaps the retirement was coming anyway. He's 33 years old and would finish with a record of 43-5 and with 36 KOs, having briefly held a middleweight belt in 2015. Kieran, thoughts on Lemieux's retirement or any of those fights in the works? So I continue to be a little bit of get off my yard about Ben Eubank. Uh, As a contest, it just doesn't really make a tremendous amount of sense. But Mm -hmm. boxing is prize fighting. 
And as I thought about it, I was all about Manny Pacquiao, Oscar DeLoya when it was made. And that was no worse in terms of a weight mismatch. And look how that turned out. Uh, And it will, of course, be a big event in the United Kingdom, huge even. Um, And that's really the important thing, I guess. Uh, But especially from the Ben side, it does feel a tad reckless. But Mm. um, I do really like the idea of Wilder Hellenius. Uh, You you know, you expressed that you thought it's a a, a really good matchup, or at least a pretty good matchup for Wilder coming out of uh, his his long layoff. Um, It's a fight that Wilder should win, but might not. Um, Hellenius has the size and the boxing skills to make life difficult for Deontay. I'm, I'm just so unclear about where Wilder is and what he has left. I, yeah. I'm thinking not just about the second and third Fury bouts, but that fight before that, uh, uh, the way in which he was so diffident in the face of Luis Ortiz's work before unloading that right hand that ended it. And I remember we discussed at the time, well, is he being smart and working on his stamina and boxing skills or, or is something off? Um, and I wonder that even more, you know, because against Fury, he was totally outgunned and outboxed and outfought. But holy crap, he showed the heart of a lion, especially right. in that third fight. Uh, as we talked about before, I can see, depending on what happens with Joshua and Usyk, I can see Wilder coming back and becoming the heavyweight champion, if, especially if Fury does stay retired. But I can also see him losing to Hellenius um, because unless things have changed, his fundamentals are, are still lacking. So, yeah, I'm curious and, and I'm into it. Um Diaz Cepeda is a terrific fight, too. Skilled and tough veteran against an undefeated uh, up-and-coming prospect. And I'm really looking forward to that. And Joseph Adorno is a great replacement for Shenard Bunch. We've seen him a couple of times on Showbox recently. Um, he's scoring a couple of knockdowns, but having to be content with a draw against Jermaine Ortiz and losing the decision to Michelle Rivera earlier this year. He's actually fought, since that Rivera fight, twice more. Both wins since Rivera. So this will be his fourth fight of the year, which we certainly like to see in a young boxer. Um, as for David Lemieux... My God. I mean, first of all, as you said, I mean, deepest condolences to him and his family. I just, how absolutely awful is that? I, I just cannot imagine what he must be going through. It, it seems insignificant and petty to be discussing his boxing career in, in the light of that. But yeah, you know, you, you could well be right. It's maybe this is an emotional response to that. But it does also make sense. He's done very well for himself mm-hmm. and had a very good career, even if it wasn't quite the career many hoped and expected it would be prior to his first loss to Marco Antonio Rubio. He's a likable guy, an intelligent guy. He'll be a good trainer, I think, if he wants to be. Hmm. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to interview him several times. I've always enjoyed doing it. Um, I'll never forget being ringside when he knocked Curtis Stevens out cold and we were all checking to make sure Stevens was still breathing. Um, I, I just wish him, I know we all wish him, the very best in whatever he does going forward. And again, just deepest condolences on that tragedy. Yeah. Uh, finally, uh, in this segment, uh, a fight that happened this weekend and one that didn't, um, in Las Vegas on Saturday night, Teofimo Lopez bounced back from his first professional loss to George Campos Jr. with a dominant display against overmatched Pedro Camper, um, who he dropped and stopped in the seventh round after being really completely in control all the way through. Uh, meanwhile, in Prescott, Arizona on Friday... Mickey Bay and Tevin Farmer were slated to finally meet after two postponements to a long-scheduled matchup. But after four undercard bouts on the show were completed, the fight was cancelled, as was the co-main, without any warning or immediate explanation, which would have been mightily disappointing for anyone who actually stumped up to watch this on pay-per-view. Bay and Farmer later posted on Instagram that the promoters, quote, hadn't met their obligations. Um, 
Eric, what did you think of Lopez's performance? And do you suspect Farmer and Bay at this point are going to be very happy to go their separate ways and never see each other or hear each other's names ever again? <laughs> I mean, this really stinks for both of those guys, especially Farmer, who is still more or less in his physical prime and has been inactive a while and, and is now kind of wasting that prime or what's left of it. I honestly didn't know Mickey Bay was still fighting at all prior to hearing about this fight. But yeah, I'd guess they will accept that this fight just is not meant to be and move on. As for Teofimo, I thought he looked very good. He looked like the old Teofimo, basically, as he should. He's only 25 years old. But it told us nothing, because as we said last week, Kampa is not a world-class fighter. He presented no danger. He was brought in to get knocked out. Again, I was cool with this fight happening. You know, Lopez is entitled to an easy one to shake off the rust. They didn't ask people to pay for it. All good there. But for the love of God, don't shout at me that the takeover is back or, or that Teofimo Lopez proved anything in there. And he celebrated afterward as if he'd just done something major. I would have rather seen him act like, yep, that's what I expected. Ho-hum, you know, exude that confidence like this is no big deal. It's like the team that pops champagne when they win in the first round of the playoffs versus the team that's been there before and they don't really celebrate until they've won the championship. Um, In terms of the performance, Lopez shook off some rust and looked pretty good. Maybe a little less powerful at 140, although Kampa is tough and was game and wasn't just coming in there to lie down. So I'm not going to overreact to the fact that it took seven rounds. Lopez made some mistakes, but they're the kind of mistakes you make when you know your opponent can't make you pay for them. Backing into the ropes, dropping his hands, leaving himself open to counters. He did a few things you wouldn't want to see him do against an elite opponent. But in general, he looks sharp, and it's fun having him back in the mix, certainly. And the attention for a lot of people now turns to what's next for him. But I'm not going to address that because, well, consider this a spoiler for your top five challenge the fact that I don't want to talk about this subject. How do you like that? Yes. Intrigued. All right. right. But before we get to that, we have the tweet of the week. Uh, And I'll admit, this tweet is lame. I'm just (laughs) reverse engineering from a boring tweet to get to a topic I want to call attention to. And that topic is the latest episode of Tris Dixon's podcast. Uh, Our friend Tris Dixon, I feel fine calling him that now that I finally met him in person in Canastota. His podcast, Boxing Life Stories, No reason we can't plug other boxing podcasts here, especially podcasts that don't really compete directly by doing similar things to what we do. Boxing Life Stories episodes are long-form, one-on-one interviews, a deep dive with someone for 45 minutes or an hour and a half or two hours sometimes. And full disclosure, if the guest doesn't interest me, sometimes, you know, it's like an ex-boxer from Britain that I'm not too familiar with. Sometimes I delete those without listening. Sorry, Tris. Uh, Well, the most recent episode, I did not delete. I listened because the interview subject was Paul Spatafora. And it occurred to me that I haven't heard or read an interview with Spatafora in a long time. I know he's been in and out of trouble over the years, but he certainly hasn't been top of mind. I met him once when he first won the title, the lightweight title, and he was very quiet, not very interesting to talk to, to be honest. Well, I saw that this podcast clocked in at like an hour and 40 minutes, and I figured, okay, maybe Spatafora is going deep these days. And indeed, this guy has lived a life. Uh, He has some stories. Getting shot, shooting other people, accidentally, he insists, uh, getting high, overdosing, coming back to life, cheating death, 
all of it told with one of the worst Pittsburgh Yinzer accents you ever heard. <laughs> uh, at the end of the interview, he starts talking about the afterlife and says he's hoping for purgatory. That's his best case scenario. Oof. Really great wow. stuff. Um, so anyway, I wanted to plug it and build the tweet of the week around it. So I looked up Tris's Twitter and Tris has shut down his Twitter account. Good for him. That tells me Tris is making sound life decisions. Um, <laughs> so instead, I found a random fan tweeting it out. So the tweet of the week goes to Lee Adams, at Lee Adams 40 who tweeted, 5K run listening to the madness. Great episode at Tris Dixon. Then a link to the pod. Unfortunately, Tris won't see your tweet, Lee. Uh, but uh, there you have it, Kieran. I'm giving tweet of the week to a totally vanilla tweet just to celebrate what I consider the boxing podcast of the week, non-Raskin and Mulvaney division, Tris Dixon's interview with Paul Spadafora. Oh, that's great. That's, um, I'm really happy that Tris is doing, um, getting the opportunity to do these these deep dive pieces. You know, when he left Boxing News, I, I think he felt that he was going to actually be stepping away from boxing altogether, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he went off and he opened up a CrossFit gym near Stonehenge where, where he lives. And... I thought he was going to be pretty happy settling into a non-boxing life, but the pull is strong. Uh, yeah. It's not just boxers who have a hard time walking away. It's it's people like us and Tris. And it seems like he's really carved himself out now. Just the the perfect gig. He doesn't have you know the weekly pressures of, of being an editor or being a beat writer. He, he's able you know to select his interview subjects and to go in deep with them. And, he, and he's doing some other TV work as well. Uh, Tris is a great guy. I would have said. Make sure you follow Tris Dixon. He's an interesting guy, but apparently, <laughs> apparently that's no longer an option. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think he's probably active on other social media. But um, he yeah, that's, he's, that, he's, that's, he's on Instagram. I did check that. He's still there, but it's mostly just pictures of him making yeah, making me look very small and yes. non-muscular. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But 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 listen, Tris, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm here and, and ready to tell my boxing life story. And I can promise you that it's at least 1.5% as interesting as Paul Spatis for us. So <laughs> putting it out there. There you go. All you right. Me, of course. <laughs> yeah, I'd mention you. You're part of my boxing life story. Yeah. Right. I'll, I'll name check you. Or at least I'll be like that guy. That and, guy and you'll know I was talking about you. Right. All right. Anyway. Kieran, let's finish the show with your next top five assignment. I think you're going to like this. It's fun, it's timely, and it should require zero research. Yay. <laughs> this builds off Teofimo Lopez's successful ring return on Saturday and on the crowning achievement of your boxing media career, coming up with the name The Four Princes to describe yeah. Lopez, Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis, and Devin Haney, a name that I hear semi-frequently now. It has caught on, though unfortunately nobody other than maybe Brian Campbell credits you when they use it. Anyway, what I want from you are the top five fights you'd like to see right now involving any of the four princes. So the fights ah. can be prince versus prince. Maybe two or three or four of your five will be. Uh, there are six possible Prince versus Prince combinations for the record, but you can also do Prince versus non-Prince. There are certainly plenty of elite non-Prince fighters at 140, 135, even 130 who could take okay. on a Prince. So I think it's a, a tough to assignment in that it won't be easy to decide what your five are and what order right. they should come in at. Um, but you don't have to look up a damn thing. It's all right in front of you. Just count down from five to one the fights involving these guys that you most want to see right now. 
Love it. I can start work on that 15 minutes before we record next week. <laughs> oh, so you're starting early then. You're not, <laughs> yeah, you're exactly. not procrastinating. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really committed to this. As, as you can tell. No, I love that. That'll be actually kind of fun. Good. Um, so, yeah, I'll start with all the Prince versus Prince matchups and, and work it from there, really. So, yeah, I wonder if we'll see any of them. I mean, a couple of them are being discussed. There, I mean, I, I, the reason that I kind of thought of it was this, uh, this talk that has just started up about right. Teofimo and Ryan Garcia possibly uh, circling each other. So it's it's interesting because I was as I was thinking about these matchups, there's kind of no combination of the four I wouldn't want to see, along with any of the four against right. any of two or three or four other guys. So uh, you you. You have no research to do, but you still kind of have your work cut out for you. I met a Ryan Garcia fan the other day, actually, like out in the wild. Like, hmm. didn't, you know, uh, just somebody mentioned that I worked in boxing and their first response was, oh, yeah, Ryan Garcia, he's my boy. So hmm. a, a young person, which fits. Okay, right. So perhaps active on the socials there All with right. the things, with the Instagrams <laughs> and stuff. But All right, well, you'll want to track this person know. down and uh, direct next week's podcast toward, uh, toward this Ryan Garcia fan. I will indeed, I will indeed. But I just thought it was interesting. It was the first validation that Ryan Garcia is popular with, with the youngs. <laughs> because your sample size of one yep. random person you bumped into is proof that he has crossed over. Yes. Honestly, since the pandemic, a random sample size of one is about as extensive <laughs> as, my, as, as my interaction with the rest of humanity goes these right. days. So I'll take it. Okay. All right. Uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We will be back next week with a look back at Usyk Joshua 2 and the Showtime quadruple header, and the rest of the sports news and views, and my list of Prince versus Prince and non-Prince. So there you go. Uh, until then, thank you very much for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be fun. Well.